prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Tom Hiddleston returns to talk all things Loki, plus his comfort movie, Castaway. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Yes, Mr. Tom Hiddleston back on the podcast at long last. Of course, I wasn't going to let something like Loki go by without inviting Tom back on the pod, and thankfully he said yes. Uh, I got a chance to talk to Tom a couple times in recent weeks, uh, one for MTV on camera. You can still catch that approximately 20-minute conversation, I believe, over on MTV News' YouTube page. That was a lot of fun, but that was at the beginning of Loki. This time I got a chance to catch up with him towards the end. Now, not at the very end. We actually chatted right before episode six dropped. So there are actually are not any spoilers for the end of Loki in this episode. So if you're worried about that, don't worry. Uh, we do talk a bit about some of the guest stars that have appeared through episode five. But that being said, my guess is if you're here for a Tom Hiddleston podcast, you've probably watched Loki. You might have watched Loki twice or three times. So you're in the right place, don't worry. Um, this is another fantastic chat with Tom, who I've obviously chatted with a bunch over the years. This is primarily about Loki, but also a bit about, you know, we always like to geek out about film around here, and especially with folks like Tom who know their stuff. Um, his comfort movie choice was fantastic. A movie that um, I adore, The Great Castaway, from Robert Zemeckis, starring Tom Hanks in a remarkable performance, virtually isolated for at least half, if not two-thirds of this film. Um, unless you count Wilson, another great performance. Um, so you'll hear Tom wax eloquent about Tom Hanks and Robert Zemeckis' great film a little bit later on. Other things to mention, um, if you haven't checked out the latest episode of Game Night, my totally impartial advice to you is check it out. Um, we're having a lot of fun over at the Patreon page, patreon.com slash happy, sad, confused. That's where you'll find the latest episode with Sam Hewen, Karen Gillen, uh, and Jamie Alexander, 45 minutes of madness in the best possible way. I should say we also have some really, really cool episodes coming up, two already in the can, um, with guests, like ginormous, crazy ginormous A-list stars. <laughs> it's kind of absurd that uh, these folks are agreeing to my shenanigans, but hey, God bless them. <laughs> I guess everybody likes to have a good time, and uh, I appreciate their uh, their time and their openness to uh, just geeking out and being silly on game night. Um, other things to mention. Well, I'll mention one thing. I, nothing confirmed or set in stone yet, but I did get a chance to watch The Suicide Squad from James Gunn, the new interpretation of that material. Obviously, David Ayer had a take that was somewhat compromised a few years back. This compromise is not the word for this take. This is James Gunn, through and through. If you love James Gunn, Guardians, etc., you're going to dig this movie. Some great casting choices. I love Idris Elba in this movie, and I'm a, I'm a huge Idris fan. And frankly, I think he has not been served well by his, uh, by the, his material that he's had. He's just not had great writing or films that he's been in, for the most part. There are some exceptions. But I think this one really makes good use of Idris Elba, like, just awesome movie star. It's a good role for him. Not to mention folks like John Cena, who's hilarious, and Margot Robbie, and, and down the line. So I want to recommend Suicide Squad, but I also want to say that hopefully we're going to have some cool stuff, perhaps on the podcast, perhaps over at MTV, or Comedy Central, or on Game Night. Maybe a combination. Uh, some things are afoot. Uh, with a cast that big, obviously, attention must be paid, and I am certainly doing that. Um, 
last plug. Oh, I know, I know what I want to mention. We've, I've mentioned this before, but uh, you guys should really be checking out The Wake Up. This is a great newsletter um, from my buddy Sean McNulty, uh, who does this daily digest, basically. And I don't know about you, I have trouble keeping up with like the entertainment headlines day after day. They just kind of flood by if I'm on my Twitter feed. Hopefully I catch most of them. This newsletter is a godsend. It's like, comes in every morning and within a, t a quick two, three minute read, you are totally up to speed on all the biggest headlines in media, entertainment, TV, film, streaming, all of it. Um, so go check out the wakeup.substack.com, free newsletter, totally free of charge. Hits your uh, email inbox and you are all up to date. So uh, that's my unsolicited plug of the week, the wake up from uh, my buddy Sean. Anyway, let's get on to the main event. It's time, another chat with the man of the hour. We know him, we love him, we're obsessed with him in a good way, hopefully. Uh, here's my conversation with Mr. Tom Hiddleston. Tom, it's good to see you, man. Thank you so much for uh, rejoining me on the, the podcast. Are you feeling um, happy, sad, or confused from the reception to Loki thus far? Happy, happy. Is it a different experience? This must feel a little bit different than, I mean, you've, you've had these quintessentially unique Marvel experiences, these global blockbusters, but there's something about the week to week, the uh, yes. interaction with the audience. Have you been enjoying that um, develop? Yeah, the week to week thing is so, it is so fun. Um, every Tuesday night, I get, I get a bit nervous again. Every Tuesday I'm like, oh no, another one tomorrow. Um, <laughs> It's sort of like, you know, the opening night nerves, I suppose. Um, but it's, but to, to, I suppose to understand, to, to really understand the engagement week by week and that people have, um, have engaged with the show with, with such um, kind of curiosity and affection is, is just, it's so, um, I never take it for granted. I don't take it for granted. It's a wonderful thing. Um, I feel very, it's, it's very meaningful for me. We work really hard on this. Um, we thought about it a lot and this extraordinary crew um, worked through the pandemic, um, through so many challenges and keeping the goal of a great show in mind. So I'm, I'm really, um, it's a real honor. You're, you're reaping the rewards um, in many ways, the good reviews, the fans just uh, reveling in it, um, and finally, at long last, getting your own cereal. Congratulations. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> oh, goodness. For those listening to the podcast, I'm showing Tom the image of Loki Charms, which I don't know what genius in what board meeting came up with this, but give them a raise. Sure. Yeah. I'm yet to, to I'm yet to partake. Um, <laughs> you haven't tasted uh, your uh, your own charms yet. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't supped or breakfasted on um, on a bowl of Loki charms, but um, you know, expect the unexpected. I guess. Right? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know if that's what I want out of a cereal necessarily. Yeah, like, oof, you don't know what's in them. Can they be trusted? Can they really be trusted? Like any Loki. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
so as as we tape this, uh, there's one more episode to go, so we can't go get into full spoiler territory. But um, five episodes in, we've seen a lot of um, exciting surprises as we've gone, including um, the legend that is. We knew that Richard E. Grant was going to be in the show. I'm sure you, I would I guess, again, judging from our conversations over the years, whether it's with Nail and I or his his performance in Hudson Hawk, which I will stand by as scene stealing uh, amazingness. Um, did you delight in watching Richard E. Grant don the Loki gear, the quintessential, the old school Loki gear? A legend in our lifetime. Um, yes, I um, I was so excited. I, I genuinely don't know what we would have done if he hadn't said yes, because it's sort of it's perfect it's, it's like perfect. it was the yeah. he was the only it was only him um and um yeah i think you know if i'm completely honest richard is probably part of my unconscious um kind of inspiration for aspects of loki um you know i i first watched with nail and i when i was 14 and it was, as that film already was, this enormous classic in, in, in British culture. And now, of course, I know it's beyond um, these shores. And uh, he was so charismatic and um, unpredictable and funny and brilliant. And just he's just a genius. And all of that sort of sense of, all the sort of Withnailish qualities are quite Loki-ish qualities, or, or maybe they're just Richard E. Grant qualities. <laughs> sort of, but but, but he's, he's, he was so, uh, he became so ready and so generous and so kind, as everyone who's worked with him knows, um, and funny, and um, just, up, he was just up for it. And yeah. And committed, com- completely committed with with the ho- the whole thing, um, and and wearing that costume, and he'd read the <laughs> comics, and yeah, I think he really, it re- he really enjoyed it. It really tickled him. Um, one of one of one of our listeners, Kelly Fowler, actually had a question. She said, "Did you give Richard any tips on how to manage the horns? Do you just let him fend for himself, or do you?" Yeah, I just I just I just let him let him go. I mean, <laughs> do you give Richard E. Grant tips on anything? I don't think so. Um, uh, <laughs> but you know there's a, there's a I'll tell you a story about Richard is I remember I had been there was a day I had been wrapped for the afternoon it was a Friday I think uh, and it was about two o'clock in the afternoon and I was I was in my I was at base camp in my trailer and there was lots of sort of new um, pages and I was some there was some admin I had to do and it was you know Friday afternoon I thought well, I could just stay here and do the admin and it would save me having to do it tomorrow morning but then I heard um, one of the assistant directors the AD I said is it, is, is it Richard is he is it Richard what's Richard doing this afternoon and it was the scene where he was confronting Elioth and I suddenly said can you let me know can you just let me know when when he's doing that and he and so there was a knock on my door and they said just so you know we're do, they're doing it now and I ran over to the sound stage and I'm so glad that I didn't do whatever admin it was that I had to do because I turned up and there was about 25 minutes left and it was Richard 
on this enormous soundstage covered in, um, you know, what looks like kind of rather drab English countryside. Lots of earth, lots of grass, lots of beautiful bits of design uh, with an extraordinary light show around him um, orchestrated by uh, Autumn Durald, our amazing DP. Um, but it it, and a camera on a crane above, sort of dancing around him. But it really was... And it was classic Loki's final confrontation with Eliath. But, of course, as anyone who knows anything about making these films knows Eliath, we were, you know, greatly assisted by our visual effects team in post-production. And so what I, got to, what I got to see was I had a front row seat to absolutely pure imagination from Richard. And it was incredibly moving. I can, I to, I, I, I can imagine, I, mean, I, I got a chance to talk to him a bunch on the Can You Ever Forgive Me kind yeah. of train, which yeah. I love that movie and I yeah. love that performance. And he, he was so enthusiastic about every aspect of that opportunity. I mean, he's been in the business for a long yeah. time and he's yeah. been up through the ups and downs and just so grateful and, and just, I mean, filled to the brim with stories, his love of Barbara Streisand, yeah. everything about him brims with just yeah. joy. And, it, it was, and I can imagine seeing him at work. It must be the same kind of thing. It must be inspiring as another actor. Pure commitment, yeah. pure commitment yeah. to, the, to the active imagining. You know, in that moment, there was, there was nothing else uh, f- to assist him. Right. He, but he believed he, he was classic Loki you know, going up <laughs> against the lioth and, and there was all of that sort of vulnerability in, in his resistance. It was just, it was an, actually an amazing afternoon. And it was his last shot. I was really happy I was there. Was, the, was it ever on the table for you to portray any additional variants? We obviously saw President Loki by the time yes. I've seen through episode five. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose there's an iteration of the show where you're, you're playing dozens of variants. Were, was, were there any other specific ones on the table or ideas on the table for you to play? Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, we certainly wanted to maybe to, to, to suggest that, um, that the variant that we're kind of running, we're trying to, that we're running towards in episode two might be, we might be, you know, might be suggesting to the audience that, this, this Loki could be coming up in front of a, a mirror image of himself. Right. And that he is as surprised as anyone when it's not. It's Sylvie. Um, yeah. Or someone who is revealed to be Sylvie later on. Um, and, um, yeah, I think there were always... There's that scene in the... Um, when B-15 and Mobius are trying to explain to the, the team of Hunters and Minutemen about what you know the danger of this particular variant and there's a sort of some kind of presentation of all these different Lokis and there's a Loki who's like won the Tour de France and <laughs> and, uh, and uh, a, a sort of I don't know there's all these all these which I, images I hadn't seen which made me laugh um, of um, different the particular Lokis with my face on it which I think this Loki my Loki finds quite surprising Right. Um, but, you know, because up until this point, he thought he was unique. Turns out there's... Dime a dozen. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've talked it's many times... It's a long road to uh, humility, you know, right? It's a long road to humility. <laughs> we've talked many times about Kenneth Branagh, who is inextricably linked to your casting in this role and developing what you did in the first place. Um, I'm just curious, have you kept in touch with him since in, the, in, in recently? Like, has he caught the new... The new Loki, 
And I'm also curious if like you've ever explored, obviously he, he never returned to Marvel, hasn't yet. It's a long career. Who knows? Have you ever discussed Brana returning to, to Helm or, or write any further Loki story? Um, do you know, I was last time I was in touch with him, he was in, he sent a very uh, kind um, a note uh, in honor of my 40th birthday. Um, and um, uh, yeah, he mentioned it then. Um, I haven't actually, I think he's been making something and I've been making something. So I actually, I would love to, to check in. We always do anyway. We, we yeah. kind of look each other up and um, um, catch up on things. And he's always making things. He's always, I mean, he never, he never stops. His, his creative engine is, is always running. I suppose it's the yin and the yang, like like in the second, the second part of what I was talking about is like part of the joy over the years has been putting Loki in the hands of people like Kenneth or Taika or yeah. now Kate and Michael Waldron. Yes, and like yes. Letting them their own take filter through the Loki. Absolutely. Yeah. Loki magic. Right. But I remember we so um, Kenneth Branagh directed a production of Hamlet in the summer of 2017. Uh in which I played Hamlet and we loved making that. It was just the most incredible honor to be guided through that play by him, um, who knows the play so well. And he was so generous with me in opening up his knowledge of the play, but also understanding that it was also gonna be my interpretation that there were gonna be things I discovered in the play that, sure. that, that were that my own. But during that process, we talked, of course, we talked a lot about, I think by then I had, I had filmed the scene in Infinity War. I can't remember if I told him, but we definitely, definitely talked about Loki. We always do. Um, and that first Thor film remains one of the most special experiences of my, of my life. Um, just was a very special time. Um, yeah. And we all we all remember it. Everyone who was there remembers it. You know, it's Ken, Chris, myself, and Anthony Hopkins, and Rene Russo, yeah. and Natalie, and Kat, and Jamie, and everyone remembers it with real affection. How many, how many offers over the years have you received to officiate a wedding in the guise of Loki? You must have get these outlandish, bizarre requests. No, not weddings, actually. Have I, really? I, I don't think I have... This is an unexplored revenue stream that could be very lucrative for you in your in your next decade. I mean, it's point. it's a um, it's a gamble to ask Loki to officiate a wedding. I, I mean, again, like, well, look, marriage is a gamble. So. <laughs> I suppose most people get getting married, they at least want the wedding to go well. You know, fair enough. Um, yeah. it's a, it's it's a hell of an image. Just it's a hell of a tone to strike to say, you know, we're going to set out on this journey together. Um, with the god of mischief in our midst. Um, so, yeah, that's one that hasn't come my way thus far. But, you know, okay. as always, expect the unexpected. <laughs> Have you been um, keeping up with, I know you've been working, but did you watch WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier? Yes, and I what did. did you make? Yes, I did. Yeah. I love them both. Um, um, I mean, I just, what I love is that there's this endless capacity for invention to take characters who are familiar and put them in different contexts and find new ways of exploring their depth and, and all the, the uh, complexity that they contain. Um, 
both very di you know both very different i thought very different in tone i i mean the way um the way jack Schaefer and the team on one division sort of explored the nature of television through the prism of Wanda's grief and her mind and the yeah. nature of creativity in and of itself is just so clever and so enjoyable um, and so brilliantly performed as well by everybody. Um, and then the, I think, you know, what um, Malcolm Spellman and, and um, Gary Scroglin and and Anthony and Sebastian did and the whole team on, on Falcon Winter Soldier is really taking these two characters and understanding their loss um, and the the hole that has been left by the absence of Captain America and what what that means, what being Captain America means now, today. And yeah. and, and and really looking into some some very complex issues which I thought was was really interesting and um yeah, I, I I enjoyed that enormously. Um, it felt like it had it had weight. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it's if nothing else, these first three shows show the risks that Marvel's still willing to take, even maybe more so than ever. And um, the goodwill I feel like that Feige and company have accumulated. They're like they're spending it in the right way, like yeah. by taking chances, which yeah. is so inspiring and yeah. exciting. Um, if you'll indulge me, I asked you for a comfort movie, my friend. And I, uh, I've been asking folks in the last year, um, especially when we needed a lot of comfort in our lives, uh, for movies that they've returned to over the years. And, you know, I was guessing, you know, we've talked before about Heat and Ghostbusters. You went a different way. I did. But in, but in some ways, this film, I, I'm not surprised in many ways. Tell, tell us what your comfort movie pick was. My comfort movie pick is Castaway. Um, and in a nutshell, yeah, what's what's your what's your well, sell us on Castaway as I, if it needs selling? I, I so Castaway. Um, Tom Hanks uh, plays a um, a very stressed and busy man who works for FedEx, and uh, he needs to get this delivery on time, and it's Christmas, and he sort of you know absentmindedly says goodbye to his family, but he'll get back and see them soon, and. And and he's flying across the world, and the next thing he knows, he's you know washed up on a d deserted island, bruised and battered, and and uh, he's on his own, and hopes sort of within hours to be rescued, um, and the hours turn into days, and the days turn into weeks, and and it really is a story about survival and isolation and and perseverance and resilience and really finding meaning in in the experience of being alive and um, who better to carry you through those deep themes than Tom Hanks um, and I, I so that the, <laughs> it's a bit of history that I remember I was um, I can't remember exactly how old I was, but I was in my sort of late teens. And uh, I think during the holiday period, I suddenly kind of got, I got rather ill. I got very, I woke up with a fever and had a, and felt very, very shivery and, um, and really unwell. And, um, and so kind of canceled some plans and went to bed. And, uh, and on the sort of 
as I was sort of coming out of, of that, it was nothing serious at all. It was just, you know, some winter bug that was just not bad timing. Right. And uh, it was on... I'm ashamed to say I didn't see it at the, at the movies for the first time. I saw it on television at home, um, coming out of this, this um, illness. And, and it was I just completely, I was completely emotionally overwhelmed by it. I found it so moving um, because it's about holding on. Um, and not that I, I'm not drawing any analogy between my state of health and, and where Tom Hanks is. It was just sort of, I just felt very, I had this very private connection to the film. I watched it on my own and um, it's so touching that it's about finding ways to carry on um, when, when the going gets tough or, or when you find yourself in, in impossible circumstances and, and you're looking for something to carry you through and it's yeah. a, I still think the way that it's handled is just really moving no it, it's very primal it's very basic and like some of the speeches he, he, he talks about is you know just like the sun rising and falling breathing in and out yeah. every day just yeah. taking it one day at a time yeah. and just well there's um, something he his, learns his, about life you know he he, yeah. he, he had a his life was busy and it was probably over busy and um, and relentless. I think he talks about it at some point. The character talks about being relentless and and I think he probably, a lot of life passes him by because he's not paying attention. And it's this period of adversity which teaches him to pay attention. Yeah. Um, but also those who he carries in his heart are the things that keep him going. Uh, and that... Um, there are two things to say, really. The first is, is the relationship with Wilson. You know, the, like we all, I don't know anyone alive who doesn't love that relationship. It's just so, it's so touching and it's so sweet. And, um, the, you know, one of the packages that's washed up on the shore is this little, <laughs> little football. Um, uh, and it's made by Wilson and he's like this, and, and somehow he projects his own kind of ineffect, some rage at his ineffectuality because he's, you know, he's hurt himself or something and he's picked up this inanimate object and thrown it across the beach and then he realizes he left a handprint and it looks like a face and he decides that he can externalize these terrible tormented conversations he's having with himself and have them with his other character and you become how does how does he do this i don't know how does tom hanks do this that you you care so much about about this inanimate wilson and and when he's trying to build that raft and trying to get past the reef and 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 he realizes in his confusion that Wilson washes away. I mean, I defy anyone not to just to oh, burst into it's, it's one of the most heartbreaking scenes. Yeah. Because you realize it's been the thing that's been whole, it's been like a, his adoptive thing, the thing that's been that's given him meaning and purpose and it's, and it's floating away. Um, and the second thing to say is the, um, when he's finally reunited with his wife, who, who, had, who long ago has has had to, you know, has had to move on. Yeah. And he's able to, to, to integrate that into his understanding and say, and say that, it, you know, all that mattered, that mattered that you were there because I, I, what is it? What's the quote? I had to 
keep breathing. Um, because the next day the sun will rise and who knows what the tide could bring. That's it. Yeah. And for anyone who has ever gone through a hard time, any challenge or any difficulty, and sometimes those experiences can feel extremely isolating and extremely lonely, that is, that is a lifeline. And it's, um, if, yeah, it just is a, a beautiful tribute to that capacity. Well, it doesn't surprise me. In addition to everything you just said, it checks other boxes that, that I, you know, innately know about you. It, 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 we've talked about the Hanks performance. It has one of the great, like, just screen performances. Yeah. It has, it's directed by a director that I'm sure means a lot to you yes. from the 80s and 90s, Robert Absolutely. Zemeckis, yeah. who just, who, by the way, one of the amazing facts behind the making of this film, as anyone that's seen the film knows, Hanks go, undergoes this remarkable physical transformation, which necessitated yes. them shooting it yeah. basically a year apart. And yeah. in that intermittent year, Robert Zemeckis made one of the great thrillers, What Lies Beneath, um, <laughs> which is a very underrated, great piece of pulp yeah. uh, entertainment. Yeah. Um, not to mention the one, one other thing I'll mention that I, I thought of when I thought of you picking this is it features a great, I know you love a great film score and Alan oh. Silvestri's score is so moving and is, you know, it's the cliche to say it's another character in the film, but with a film where there aren't that many characters, Silvestri's score really carries a lot of the weight. Well, Silvestri's score in that moment when Wilson, it, when, when Wilson floats away is, yeah. will tear your heart out. Um, yeah. Uh, and in a way, maybe Sylvester's score is Wilson too, um, and Wilson is 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 a co-creation by by Tom Hanks and, and Robert Zemeckis and Alan Sylvester that they that we believe in Wilson because they do. Yeah, Tom Hanks obviously is kind of the one, maybe the quintessential movie star, everyman actor of the last 20, 30 yeah. years in, in cinema. Um, when you look at his career, is, th is that the role that, like, if you could, like, dip your toe in and give a swing at a Tom Hanks performance, is that the one that jumps out? Or, I mean, there are probably a few. There's only one Tom Hanks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, the, he's the original TH, Tom H. Um, I don't know. It's one of those one. I mean, I think maybe it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a childhood question I, I always had of, of we all... I think we all would be intrigued to know uh, how we would fare on our own on a desert island. It's one of our great, it's one of the great kind of yeah. existential questions we all have. That if, you know, if faced with that challenge, how would we measure up? You know, there's this terrific um, radio program that's been running uh, in this country on the BBC for like Desert Island Discs. You know, if you could take music onto a desert island, what would it be? And, Right. Um, I think this idea of um, the, the, the durability of the human spirit is something that we'll always think about. And if you if you if you actually if you took away all the things that make, that were familiar to us, if you if you took away home, if you took away um, community, if you took away family and friendship, if you had to fend truly for yourself and be returned to to the wilderness and that wilderness was was hot and sandy and full of strange predators and you know how would you well, get on and we all intrigued by that question it gets out a, a little bit and we i remember we talked about this when we were talking about betrayal and i asked you about at that time kind of like you 
uh, stepping back from social media. Yeah. And you were talking about like kind of getting back to reality, getting back yes. to like what's important. Yeah. And that what you were talking about before really reminds me of that. It's it's just another mechanism and uh, or, or way of of stripping back and just accepting what's real, <laughs> the real stuff yeah. in our lives. And I think in the film, that's what happens to to Tom Hanks is is so in the in the, in the, he experiences so much loss but also he 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 discovers who he is yeah um perhaps in a way that he never would or never would have um if he hadn't undergone that experience um i'm hoping it's not an experience i i have to go through <laughs> in my life to find out who i am there are but other ways of challenging a, oneself you know what this will be gold as a podcast if by some horrible stretch of fate, you end up on a desert island, I'll be able to at least say, look at this crazy conversation we had yeah. while Tom Hiddleston yeah. is missing on a desert island. Well, can you, you know, can you, can you just keep, just don't stop looking, Josh, okay? Just, I think you know of yeah. all the people in the world. Just come and find me. I'm in the me. top 10 of people that will keep looking for you, my come friend. And, come and find me, just leave. <laughs> I won't, do, do, I won't be Daniel doing Day very Lewis. well out there. You know, I won't be doing well. Um, to quote Daniel Day-Lewis and Last of the Mohicans, I will find you. Oh, that's another. Um, that, there you go. That's, that's, that was one of the choices for a comfort movie. It really was. I, mean, I, I almost. I actually almost. That I, I mean, it's, that, that's the, that's our unconscious transmission right there because I almost <laughs> picked, I almost picked that film and I that's did true. watch it in lockdown as well. The last fifteen minutes of that film again, yeah. no dialogue, music is one of the great pieces of yeah. film ever. Yes. Um, Betrayal was our, our last like lengthy chat before all the madness. We talked re recently, of course, about Loki. But I'm curious if that my sense is that experience, you know, it's always the cliche, like, did this change you as an actor? Is it fair to say that that experience doing the play in London and in New, in New York, um, based on the material and the and just the way it was done? Do you feel like that has some lasting changes on you as an actor, whether it's the actual acting or the priorities or whatever? Uh, certainly. Yes, um, I've never I've never performed something that's for that many performances and for that length of time. Yeah. We did I think we did two hundred and seventy two performances across one year, um, and the, the 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 privilege of doing it was that was almost bound up with the discipline of doing it. Right. Was something was going was knowing that every day, you go in and and excavate that material, often twice a day, and um, that the the audience coming to see it on any given evening has never seen it before, and deserves as much commitment and as much rigor as the first night audience. And the discipline of that is real, and um, I find it really part, like really part of the commitment of being an actor, which is you've got to, you know, turn up and give your best, and and throw your shoulder to the wheel, and open your heart, and and um, it's a it's a it's a privilege. It's a privilege to do the job. It really is. Um, and um, I felt very because of it. I, I went straight from betrayal into Loki, and felt right. very. Um, I don't know. I felt very fresh. I felt very um, like all the all the tools had been sharpened somehow. Maybe I don't know. Do you, Do you think you'll be 
producing more? You produced on Night Manager, you produce, you're an executive producer on Loki. Is there a desire to develop your own material? Um, does that feel like something that's important or does it, I mean, it seems like you're getting, you're obviously getting the opportunities you want and yeah. need, even if you're not self-generating them, but is that something you think you'll prioritize at some point? I hope so. I, 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 I've really enjoyed what the role is um, um, on, on both Loki and the night manager, because for me, what it, what it really was, was the privilege of being included with a place at the table of the collective imagination as it's a, it's a, it's um, just more You have deeper conversations about the work much, much earlier and it runs through the whole project and you keep having the conversations until much, much later than you would if you were simply an actor for high. Now, look, I love being an actor and I would continue to do it, but it was something about being part of the, being in the engine room where you're generating stories and having time to, because sometimes when you're filming, you don't have, we have often have time, but not a lot of time to invent and create new things. Right. Um, uh, but some of that time, the, the, the true creativity of like, let's just spend a couple of hours talking about this and uh, having, having ideas and discussing them and going down avenues that maybe lead to extraordinary opportunities or going down other avenues and go, oh, that's a cul-de-sac, ignore me, pretend I didn't say it, you know, often in my case. Um, <laughs> Uh, and saying, is that the right? Is that how? Is that the right way of doing this? Of, of transforming this particular idea? Is there some other way of getting this in? Do we need to? Do we need to put a bit more of this flavor in this scene? Do we need to dial up this scene? Do we need to refine this or simplify this or make this more complex? Um, and so, being a part of those conversations was just hugely um, was it was a huge privilege, um, and it felt like there was this incredible, and it's quite rare, so worth saying, but this incredible team of people who, whose watches were completely synchronized, and there was so much respect. And that's Kate Heron, Michael Waldron, Kevin Wright, um, Stephen Broussard, of course, Kevin Feige, Luis D'Esposito, and Victoria Alonso. Um, but, the, but really sort of the five of us on the ground in Atlanta, um, just constantly in the trenches, yeah. just digging into the material. Yeah. And that must be just, yeah. And you have the tools, you have the budget you need. And it's just like, Oh, we can really, we can create, we can, we can create. Yeah. But a yeah. lot of, a lot of it is, is, um, is sitting around a big table. Um, much of it at a social distance. <laughs> so this take, we've got more tables in to sit further apart. Um, and, uh, opening up the scripts and, and say, what, saying, what do we think yeah. for hours on end and, and having, you know, some really interesting discussions. Um, a lot well, of two for two. I was going to say two for two so far on your executive producing. If, if all the projects you produce are as good as Night Manager and Loki, forget the acting, just produce, man. You're making amazing <laughs> material. <laughs> okay. I, here's my ulterior motive. I want you to produce because let's just get the next real collaboration between you and Benedict, the, the, the two-hander film <laughs> that like we we... Like, here's what I wanted. I'm, I'm bummed. There's a Face Off 2 sequel. Face Off 2 should star Benedict Cumberbatch and Tom <laughs> okay. Hiddleston. I'll let him Let's know. Let's be frank. I'll let him know. You know, it's a, that's an, that is an idea. 
Wow. Do you need? Uh, <laughs> That's a need nice way of saying it's a bad idea. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's an. It's definitely an idea, Josh. It's an idea. It's an idea. Look, you know, he, he yeah. You're opening. <laughs> and my 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 mind is suddenly kind of exploded with with uh, ideas and opportunities. Or we could go really meta with it as well. Have a bowl of Loki charms. <laughs> that fuels my creativity. Okay. And Have a bowl of Loki charms it, and lie down and stare at the, the ceiling and and picture this picture the scene. Imagine the ceiling is a movie theater, and everything <laughs> will everything will become clear. That's my creative process. Um, thank you, as always, my friend. I know, you know, we talked recently about Loki, but I, I appreciate you taking the time for a bit of a deeper dive. And it's it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And um, I have a feeling hopefully next time we'll, we'll, we'll meet in person and that will be. That, that would be, be so nice. That would be. I can't wait for that. That would be really, really nice. Yeah. Don't get in on any sketchy uh, FedEx planes. Um, okay. I don't want to lose you in the Pacific. I won't. I won't. I won't. Even if it's to see you. That would be tantalizing. Yeah, no, don't take that risk. Imagine no. if I imagine if I just sent you a quick note. Hey, Josh, I'm, I'm, com- on, my way. I'm, co- I'm on my way. I'm coming to see you. And then you turn up and be like, is anyone, what happened? Where's Tom? It's like, well, my heart can't take it. I've got don't news do that. for you. <laughs> That's the horrible way to end this. He was, he was traveling uh, on it. There was a cargo way. plane with some extra, there was some, there was some Wilson balls. Not even secreting that into the universe. We're going to see each other, and it's not going to be in those circumstances. Yes. Uh, Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) 